Welcome to the Yoga Addiction. If you're a yoga teacher or student who wants a deeper understanding of yoga with respect to science, health, and longevity, this podcast is for you. Every week, we'll dive deep into a topic to help you be a better yogi, teacher, and communicator. We want to give you a practical understanding of the current science related to yoga and help you create quality, safe, and inspired classes, whether they are for yourself at home or for your students. I'm Natalie Sanger. And I'm Sandy Hewen. We look forward to you taking part in our conversations. All right, Sandy, good morning. Hey, Nat, how's it going? I'm good. Um, How, um, sorry, you go, you go. Oh, oh, okay. Um, what did you eat for dinner last night? It's my favorite question to ask people. Oh, so we were really, really good. Um, we had a vegetarian curry with tempeh, which we like, uh, I guess we stewed in the curry for a little bit. So it took on all that yummy flavor. It was so delicious. Okay. It's not the first time I've asked you and you responded curry. Really? No. Yeah. But th- oh, what did you have? Oh, you know what? Actually I had curry as well. Cause I went out for Thai food. Ooh, yum. There was like crazy traffic. I was coming back into Vancouver from being on Vancouver Island and it was insane and we weren't going to be able to get home for over an hour. So we just like yeah. slipped down into West Van mm. and found a Thai place. Mm. Yeah, I hate that when it's just like, I'm so hungry, but we're stuck. Let's just, let's just, let's just eat. Let's That's just happened eat. to me before too. Yeah. City. Um, so city one thing life. I just... Oh, sorry. Yeah. City life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One thing I discovered, um, you know, how some, sometimes it's like, oh, an organic product is so much better than a non-organic. And sometimes it's like, there's no difference. Mm-hmm. Organic coconut milk is hugely different. Oh yeah. 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 I had no idea. What? Like the cans. Yeah. I was always buying that like shitty stuff. I'm like, oh, coconuts are okay. Right. They don't, I, I never really looked it up, but like, I just thought maybe they don't need to be organic, but the taste difference and the texture difference. Holy mother. It's so good. That's crazy. Yeah. I never knew that. Well, like I, I know that some cans of coconut milk, they put shit in them yeah to make it so it doesn't separate and i don't like that i think that has mm-hmm. something to do with it it's weird though because like a lot of plants where they flourish and grow naturally like they don't necessarily have to be organic because they they are like they're just going to grow like they're like weeds right yeah, um, yeah but maybe depending on where those coconut trees are grown like maybe they're just like this is a great industry let's cut down the forest mm-hmm. and put down coconut tree plantations palm trees yeah who knows but yeah the organic is definitely the way to go on that stuff Mm, yum yeah so the one i used um i don't know if you have it there in in vancouver but it's chas and the other really do do you guys have that brand cha apostrophe s chas organics oh yeah yeah i've seen that yeah yeah so the other thing i really liked um they have like a you know those um so it's a can but it's not like a you don't need a can opener for them you just like pop the top mm-hmm. sort of like a coke can but you pop the top friggin i need more of that in my life like that honestly is like those little things yeah yeah they just make such a nice difference like yes you are such a good can of coconut milk <laughs> you made my life easier you were delicious you're organic you gave like one percent back to the elephants or whatever it is nice. i don't i don't know what exactly their spiel is but anyway Highly recommended. It's it's expensive though. It's like four dollars a can. Oh, there's <sighs> one. Maybe I'm mixing chas up with Moz. I think I buy one that's called Moz, M A M A apostrophe S. Like I think, huh. and it, it's nice because it comes in like a not a regular 340 whatever mil. It's it comes yeah. in like half the size, which is oh. nice if you're making like a little stir fry for yourself mm-hmm. for like one lunch and then the next day leftovers or yeah. something. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Interesting. I, I've never heard of Moz though. Yeah, yeah. It's, I'll look it it's uh, and it's reasonable. I think it's. I think they're around a dollar, dollar fifty. So yeah, it comes out to usually less when I buy like two of those instead of the big one. Mm-hmm. Maybe a slightly bigger surface area, so a tiny bit more waste. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Convenience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, convenience accounts for a lot sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's get into it. Let's what are go. we talking about today? Uh, we're talking about something called SAID, S-A-I-D, uh, uh, which means specific adaption to impost demands. Yeah. Adaptation, honey. Oh, what did I say? Adaption. It was really cute. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> specific adaptation <laughs> to impost demands. It's seven eleven in the morning, and um, yeah, I'm awake. I'm awake. It's fine. 
<laughs> Did you have a coffee this morning? No, I don't really drink coffee mm. in the morning. I just wing it. Hmm. You guys are going to hear me say random shit because <laughs> of that. Love it. <laughs> okay, so tell me, you tell me about what that what that means. Um, so it's just this principle of adaptation, basically. Um, and I guess it's it's mostly applied to sports. So, for instance, if you are a soccer player, um, you'll get certain demands placed on your body, like sprinting, running, cutting side to side, um, hitting a ball, of course. And you'll get better at those things as you train for it. The other ways that we can think about this principle are in um, other sort of neuromuscular ways like um they a lot of people give the example of playing a piano so when you first start playing a piano you don't have the coordination you don't have the learning just yet but as you increase your time spent practicing you get better and better at it um and that's that's a good thing your your brain your body there's a number of systems that coordinate together to get you better at whatever it is you've chosen to do or whatever demand is placed on you there cool yeah so like in the sports world, they definitely use this term a lot to talk about training. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can you can kind of be doing anything with the like physical element, I would say. And and this principle would be at, I don't know, in use essentially, right? I, I think so. Um, so from what I know, it, it, it is like a usually like a physical rehab or a sports specific kind of thing. I don't know if like we were talking about this in terms of yoga and meditation. Like I don't know if anyone uses this term in terms of meditation. Like we know that as you meditate, you get better at it. You get better at focus. You get better at calming your system down. Mm-hmm. Um, and the time to, it takes to get into that state gets shorter just because you're, you're used to it. Right. So yeah. there's like a learning curve that you get, you sort of overcome. Um, and you, that I guess you it. can argue. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Oh, I just saying that might be a different mechanism, like not necessarily the same yeah it might not be like an adaptation I think adaptation is a little bit uh, like for me and this is not like this is not from a textbook it's just for me the word adaptation seems to connote like a um, physical manifestation of something right like yeah so I and meditation but it doesn't it doesn't need to be sports though like you could learn how to knit and yes yes piano isn't a sport yeah yeah forearms or yeah piano or like I'm thinking like definitely a lot of musical instruments are yes. not normal postures to take and your body kind of has to conform to those and learn like certain muscle memory and biomechanics and all that stuff. So anything physical that's kind of a learning, like there's some stress to it and adaptation, adaption, yeah. adoption, <laughs> who knows? Um, so one of the things you were saying is that like pranayama is sort of that, um, it's that like intersection between physical and uh, sort of mental practices, the more spiritual practices as well. But for you, and I totally agree, you said like pranayama would count because there is that diaphragmatic component that needs to adapt. Yeah. And you, I think a lot of students experience in the yoga practice, like pranayama can be uh, when you're starting to do it as stressful as the more physical like physical muscular work um the asanas the shapes that we make like yeah. there i've i've taught students and been in training with students that just kind of taking a, a slower like four count breath like they felt like extremely anxious because their diaphragm mm-hmm. was so stiff and did not move I- in that way they hadn't mm-hmm. like had breathed deeply for so long um, so, I, and I think I know in my own body, like when I did my first teacher training, we did a half an hour pranayama every morning and it went from like being able to do a five count breath to like, a over 10 easily, Wow! Um, like over 10 inhale and over 10 yeah. exhale within yeah. a month of regular practice. And I could feel like my diaphragm kind of stressing, like, uh, mm. just like the way your muscle like kind of twitches when it's. Uh-huh. When you're trying to like hold a posture, I could feel that like little ripple inside under my ribs. That's really so, cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was like putting stress on the diaphragm. And it was it learned how to move, and it got a yeah. probably a better better range of motion. 
that's definitely something I don't think is offered enough, like a, a pranayama class. Like, I don't know if mm-hmm. you guys have them, but we don't we don't have any of them. And I used to I used to live in Taiwan and and um, the studio there used to have them and I loved them. They're so nice. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're I feel like they're coming back. Really? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I think so. I always yeah, try in my it's hard in a one hour class, but anything over I'll try. Mm-hmm. I'll put some aspect of it, even if it's just like five minutes. Um, Nadi Shodana at the beginning, or mm-hmm. kind of like four count breath at the end, coming out of Shavasana, four, five, six count breath, oh. or like oh, breathing into the belly, breathing into the chest, exhale, yeah. chest, exhale, belly. Like just something at least for between one and five minutes if I have a 75 minute class I, I can weave that in like making yeah. a point of like just doing it and the class the people want it like they they actually yes. do like even those super intense people that want do all the physical stuff yes um I've had everyone many com- yeah many conversations over. with people that are actually kind of disappointed at the push towards the more physically focused classes mm-hmm. even though they like love the physical stuff and can do a lot they want that that's why they come to a yoga class and not to the gym yeah exactly yeah. um it's interesting that you you do it like coming up out of shavasana i actually do it like before you go into shavasana and do just like a um it's really hard to do retentions because i feel like people i, I want to stress that you don't want to strain with the breath so i just usually like do a voluntary hold at the very bottom of the breath and try to elongate the exhale Mm-hmm. So that that's usually what I do to get into um, the shavasanas. But anyway, nice. yeah, yeah, no, that's great too. There's definitely no right or wrong, and some people would prefer yeah. one or the other. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, pranayama segue. Okay. Yeah. Um. So, what are the demands? So, s- specific adaptation to impose demands. What are what are these demands? These Let's go demands. Back to that. So they're. Basically, any kind of stressors that we put on ourselves, and we're speaking more physical stressors. Um, but I think of this in like you're going to do something and it's going to be hard. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not like going for a bit longer of a walk. Like, no, your body is kind of knows that pattern. Um, it's something that it definitely challenges you, challenges your muscles. W- and the kind of the biomechanics of how they're working, which is uh, like a neurological challenge. So we're talking about like your brain uh, creating new movement patterns, the way it kind of fires and tells your muscles to move mm-hmm. and how it kind of it's it's learning by um, kind of firing muscles to come on and then being like, OK, I need more space here. Oh, this is really awkward or like I need to turn this a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, there'll be that work against kind of working against the natural tension in your body in these different positions, which is where a lot of like we're working against ourselves mm-hmm. and then um, kind of slowly creating those those new neurological patterns, which are faster and they turn on more easily. And then you. You adapt. Yeah. So I just keep thinking about this back in like sports contexts that, yeah, there's there's that physical aspect of learning and training to run a little bit faster every day and progressing that um, Mm -hmm. as well as like hitting the ball in soccer. But then there's also that like whole learning component of like being able to catch a pass hitting you at different angles or being able to um, sort of spot on reflexively reflex reflexively, reflexively mm-hmm. respond to um, your partner's body language mm-hmm. um, as they are like about to pass something to you. And um, I don't know. I just keep thinking back to like these videos I would watch of, well, there's only one. <laughs> it's like a YouTube video of a uh, Ronaldo um being able to you know like pivot and hit the ball and all those things but like a large part of his ability as a sportsman is also to read the field and read teammates and um have that like aspect of it that is much more psychological and again I don't know if that's um applied in the said terms like with a specific adaptation to impose demands um but for me it seems like something that that's like really really necessary in terms of sports um really integral in your success as a sports person 
Yeah. And I think like there's a natural ability to adapt more quickly, like it's probably a genetic predisposition or something like that. But a lot of it is going to come from practice. Yeah. Yoga. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get back to yoga. Um, So I want, so Nat wrote me a note and said, um, our nervous system is lazy. When did I write? Did I write that this morning? (laughs) Yeah. You wrote that down. You said our nervous system. Oh, there it is. Lazy. Yeah. What what is? Yes. Explain. Um, Well, we want to do the least amount of work all the time. Basically our body, our body is like naturally conserving energy all the time that's why we're like let's do nothing and eat all the food yes some soup that's like your body's just like yes i'm gonna live through the winter winter is coming (laughs) (laughs) right like we're just i don't know that's that's the way we go so we generally want to our nervous system does the work to um, create these responses or these adaptations so that we don't have to like think about it and relearn how to do something every time we go to do it. So these neurological pathways and like which muscles fired, which muscles turn on in what order and how much, um, that's kind of done to create the, or yeah, retain energy, like not expel energy Mm. my words this morning are gone but anyways you know that's okay mine are not i try to say (laughs) adaptation and it it is actually really hard yeah don't so yeah we don't want to do the energy we're just like (laughs) chill chill on the energy front and so your body's smart like it just like okay this is is the way i'm gonna do it the least amount of energy um yeah oh i wrote oh i wrote something better than that yeah it streamlines the amount of effort we put into doing something that's better there we go yeah sometimes my writing's better but sometimes not (laughs) (laughs) not. Um, okay awesome so you have here some so and it is a good it is a good topic to bring up we we have so many different styles of yoga how does um the said principle apply in all those styles of yoga practice so it's going to apply to those more physical demanding practices. Mm-hmm. Um, and that definitely is a relative term. Like for some people, there's probably elements in like a more gentle hatha. Like if you are uh, a body type that has like a lot of you're like heavily towards one type of posture. Say you've worked at a computer for 30 years and you're like super rounded shoulders. Rhomboids are stretched in all dried out and sad and (laughs) i know i always see these people and i just want to rub their backs um (laughs) and then yeah um sorry and then like short pecs and like you can have like all this like really postural hardening that's again your body just being like hey you're going to be in this position we're gonna make it be in that position and it's more of a fascial thing than a said thing um but say you're in that person and you're in a gentle hatha class and like really just bringing your arms overhead is probably doing some sort of that um those kind of said type um mechanisms but Mm. for people for people who have a little more mobility than that um again you're going to have to work so like any hatha class for me hatha definitely there's effort in it it's I think Hatha and gentle Hatha are different in my world. Um, like Hatha is what we practice in hot styles, which is mm-hmm. not easy usually. Uh, vinyasa, the more movement-based practices, so any of your flows or anything like that. Power, which is can be kind of like power over here. It really depends on the teacher in the studio, whether it's like power vinyasa or some people do power. There's usually vinyasa in it, but you can be in really held a lot more in postures so any of those practices that are physically demanding like there's a stress there's a physical stress on your body mm-hmm. i think just as a side note power is also power yoga is also like a set sequence um by that guy in the states i forget his name shit really yeah he he created like a rough set sequence where there's a sort of a template and you have an ability to interchange some of them but not all of the the poses like there's a standing sequence there's a vinyasa ish thing 
um shoot what's his name no way this is like the first i've ever heard of this i'm a terrible yeah yeah power yoga yeah he has uh, it's not rodney yee is it no 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 like i think a lot of people call their style like powerful or power some some sort of play on the word power because it is i mean a (laughs) powerful word um but there is a set sequence out there i so that might be what you're thinking of that's interesting I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look it up and link you guys because there, there is. It, it's just, yeah. It just escapes me okay. at this moment. Yeah, some of you guys <laughs> might know that. But like in, here in Vancouver, power just means like trying to sweat a lot or like really challenging yourself and like probably a little bit more arm balance although I don't do that as much in my classes. I'd mm. rather like crush your glute max. But that's just, <laughs> that's just me. That's just me. So one uh, thing that I did want to add on with like the whole desk job and, and the postural thing. So I think one way you can think about um, said is that you you won't play by said like you won't you won't progress and you won't ad- adapt if you go if you go too hard or if you go too little. So if you go mm. too little, like if you're a physically fit person and all you do is walk around all day, you're actually going to fragilize yourself. You're going to like decrease your musculature. You're going to decrease all the gains you did from maybe going to the gym. Um and you're not going to be as uh, uh, like physically um, athletic of a person as you were before. And you, you, we all know this, right? Like taking three months off of the gym, you feel a decrease in cardio, decrease in muscle mass and all that stuff. Um, and then the same thing if you go too hard. So let's say you're hitting the gym seven, eight days a week, seven days a week. I don't know why I said eight days a week. <laughs> all the days and, and one night. <laughs> Yeah, or like two times a day at the gym and you're hitting it so Mm -hmm. hard that your body never has time to recover. You're always in a state of like just hanging on. Um, Then you actually push yourself into the cumulative injury cycle where with each repeated stress and less of a rest in between, you degrade the tissues. There's not enough time to rebuild the tissues. This Um, is that's really important for yoga teachers who demo all of their classes. Yes, exactly. Teachers, no bueno, no bueno, don't do it. <laughs> Nat, you're on fire today. You're so like silly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so back yeah. to where I was going with this. So one way you can think about posture and desk job is that it is too much of sitting. It is too much of adapting to sitting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yes. you, when you go too much, you bypass the said principle and you go all the way to cumulative repetitive injury cycle. So too much sitting, your body has adapted to sitting. Now you're very good at sitting. You're, you're at your lowest energy possible of sitting. However, you're doing it too much, too many times a day and your body, it's going to start to take a toll where there's not enough recovery. Does that make sense? Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in, in that way as well, yoga and movement in general is, is really good for desk job workers because it, it helps you circumvent too much of sitting. Mm-hmm. And when you're sitting, yeah. that's when, and we'll go over fascia in another, are we doing fascia this week? Well, we'll, yeah. we'll be this yeah. week. Yeah. Anyways, we'll record a, a fascia and yoga podcast this week when you guys are here at some point. But yeah, fascia just takes over and kind of like, it's like, ooh, I'm going to harden up everything and like really yeah. allow you not to expend any energy and just, let's just brace you. <laughs> yeah. Which is actually one of the good things about fascia, right? It is a brace. And if you, if you are athletic, you can use it to your advantage. You can use it to like not have to expend so much energy in order to execute like a pivot and turn. Mm. Um yeah, so so the fascia hardening when you're sitting is it trying to save you from ex- like you know energy expenditures and mm-hmm. saving you from having to use your muscles to do that. It's just like laying there. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Yeah, and then when you say you're a person who's sitting a lot and you go to do yoga, then your kind of progression of said to adapt to these new postures. It's like holy mother, I'm having to work hard like against all of this mm-hmm. really like thick dense fascia that's held me like a I don't know rigor mortis at my desk (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly yeah it's it yeah breaking up that cumulative injury cycle is really important I know I've said it in other podcasts but even just like just stand up stretch your arms look far away because your eyes are also adapting to the closeness of your screen Mm. so look far away at something more than 20 feet for at least 20 seconds stand up you know move your legs in a way that they're not 
doing for that bit and you, you break up that cumulative injury cycle and you're just that much farther away from, you know, having pain in your back or pain in your neck or, you know, eye strain um, uh, that comes with age and all that and use. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. So there's kind of a progression to how um, in the more athletic world, at least I could probably, I don't know, maybe you would find this if you're like playing a musical instrument, but more in the athletic world, like how to progress and use said to your advantage. Did you want to go Mm -hmm. over those super briefly? Yeah. So in the athletic world, um, so not related so much to yoga, but like certain there's, there's really good coaches out there that would be able to train you properly without injury, without going too much or too little in order to progress you into like that really good athletic performance. Um, all the recent, because like these principles are mostly known now, like how to progress and what, at what increments, I think it's like 1.5 of load increments that you have to increase. Um, and I don't even know how over what time frame, but a certain time frame to increase given that there is a recovery period and you'll get better um so a lot of research nowadays is about how to use the carryover effect um in said principles so uh certain exercise give you a carryover to another sport so for example cycling has a small carryover to running it's a cardiovascular carryover you have the benefit from cycling cardiovascular and it carries over to running however running is a very different sport than cycling so cyclists good 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 cyclists are not necessarily good runners they might be mediocre or amateurish runners even though they have that cardiovascular carryover Mm -hmm. so a lot of research now is like looking at sports and seeing what exercises can we do that can help prepare the body and progressively load it and um, create adaptations that actually translate into a sport so if you think about like football for instance and maybe like that tackling um, you can imagine that perhaps like wrestling is a good carryover because you learn how to position your body you learn how to react to that like um unknown of what your partner's doing you learn how to read body language right there's all of that learning going on that has an applicability um whereas cycling for a football player might not be applicable very much at all maybe there's some cardio but again you might get that cardio in some other way as a as a football player so a lot of research is is doing that like in swimming pools how can we help people um adapt to something and slowly progress them to something that's actually applicable to their sport Um, And I think this is quite important. Um, If you think about uh, a lot of active people nowadays do have desk jobs. Um, And one thing that I was, as I was like researching all this and reading about all of this, uh, these principles, what can we do sort of in a yoga class that helps them or maybe even like an exercise we can, you know, like ask them to do multiple times during the day that would help them in their sport of choice. For instance, maybe you have a recreational volleyball player that plays two times a week. Um, and we know that two times a week is not necessarily enough of a demand for them to develop a said principle. Um, I think said, said, um, adaptations need to happen almost on a daily basis which is why like i don't know if you guys know the run couch to 5k that's actually a daily running plan and and it's the healthiest running plan i think um because you're asked to adapt every single day for a very small amount you're supposed to run like three minutes a day and and then you slowly slowly progress it and that that's basically the said principle working there so how can we help people who are like weekend warriors or who want to be athletic but don't have the time to train all the time how can we come up with exercises that give them uh, a carryover effect that give them some sort of advantage in their sport without having to do the the sport entirely Mm -hmm. so you're basically kind of like looking at the shapes that they're making the amount of stress um, uh-huh. let me out the amount, but like relatively the stress in their, in their joints and the kind of the biomechanics of it and yeah. coming up with some similar shapes. Yeah. yeah. So for example, like running, um, if you want to be a good runner, but you can't, you know, hit the treadmill or hit the pavement every single day and, and give that body stress to yourself, then, um, skipping is similar. Skipping has that impact. So your joints adapt to the impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has a little bit of that coordination as a runner. You need to be like arms and legs have to work. Otherwise you, I don't know mm-hmm. if your arms and legs don't work together. Now, <laughs> if you, imagine. if you like yeah. break that down more, so like, does it still have the same effect? Like say for runners, I want the glutes to be strong because hip extension is what 
kind of like fuels that whole sport, if you will. Um, especially from the back of the hip. Some people mm-hmm. think of it more from like a pulling forward, like hip hip flexion. I'm like, hmm? okay. <laughs> um, yeah. but it's like the glute, your glutes, like if you're a strong runner, your glutes are firing, pulling that leg back. So are you working bridges more like that? Like, is that going to translate over? Do you think? Uh, see, I'm not too sure with those sports. Like I think going to a physio and like talking to them, like sports specific physios, um, would know exactly what would help you the best. Um, mm-hmm. but like there might take- be, I guess my question is you could take, you can dissect it a little bit and, and take one of the movements, the joint movements and practice that, um, with some effort. And that could translate if you're moving in the same plane. Yeah. And maybe, maybe. Yeah. Um, I think, I think there needs to be like a lot more research done on that because it's also, there's also different fibers of the muscle, right? Fast twitch muscle fibers as you sprint is, is very different from the glute bridge hold. I mean, there's an ability to prime a muscle and to turn it on directly before a sport, um, and to have it more active, have more tone. So it is more likely to be active. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, nothing, nothing trains you for your sport as well as your sport does. Um, and what we're looking at with weekend warriors is that they, they just don't have the time to train their sport as regularly as they need to, to in order to have these adaptations. Um, so how can we somewhat duplicate that? And if it's something like with impact, like running is, is a lot of impact for your joints. And um, that's just really hard to replicate in a yoga class unless you're jumping up and down. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm just hopeful that there's, I'm thinking, thinking there's certain shapes and, and I think I, I mean, I would say I've experienced that to an extent myself, like building strength in certain parts of my body when doing certain athletics has helped me. You use it in conjunction with the sport, like say running, like mm-hmm. getting more power in my glutes Yeah, will help me. Um, but you're not going to like just do a bunch of more refined and specific um, activities and then or I don't know weight training type type movements and then be like I'm gonna run a 10k and like you crush it yes like, no. <laughs> yeah no that that won't that that won't fly yeah you can yeah. do it but you would suck and hurt <laughs> probably yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, this is like a very specific thing. There's also a lot of benefit in yoga for the recovery of athletics. And I think that's mostly where we can, we can be of like the greatest service Mm -hmm. to, to athletes is like to help them with the recovery because, you know, not everyone knows how much time they need for recovery. And that's something very deeply personal. So if we're able to teach people to tune in to their body, like, if I go to the gym tomorrow, I'm going to be hurt. Like I'm going to overtrain. Then you've just prevented an injury through body awareness, right? Mm-hmm. Or if I don't go to the gym tomorrow, I'm going to be weaker the next day. And that, you know, that's to the too little side of things. Like if we're able to give someone that gift, I think that's like immensely powerful. Yeah. Even that's that mindfulness practice. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh, there's so much. Yeah. The, the recovery. Have we talked about recovery yet on an episode? I don't think so. No, I don't think not so. Yeah. Recovery. On the to-do list. We'll definitely <laughs> talk about that. There's a lot we can do there. Um, so we are going to put out a YouTube video with this. And we're... What did we decide on? We're going to go through and just kind of step-by-step how you would... How we would use said in a yoga class. Mm-hmm. So essentially like introducing a movement or a shape. And then how you kind of progress through the class uh, with those said principles. Yeah, there's a progression you got from Wikipedia. I, I actually really like it. Do you want to go through mm-hmm. that? So it's a six part. I don't know if I don't think all of well, one of them definitely won't apply to yoga. But just like this is more from the athletics perspective, probably outside of a yoga studio. Uh, so it says, number one, start basic and simple and then move to advanced and complex. So you're at the beginning of the class, probably just introducing a shape in something maybe like prone or supine or without like putting a lot of force into it. Number two, slow to fast. That makes sense. I don't think I have to describe that. Number three, (laughs) low force to high force. Again, pretty self-explanatory. Number four, short distance to long distance. Well, yeah, we're going to skip that one in yoga. I don't know. Maybe you can think (laughs) of that as like 
a lower lunge to a high lunge? No, not really. Not the same thing. Not really. No, no. this is like that's like <laughs> movement, movement specific. Like actually, yeah, yeah, couple strides, uh, bilateral to unilaterally, and grad. Yeah, uh, go ahead. So that just say? means uh, bilateral. Just means like both sides. So if you're doing like a crow pose, do crow pose before you do one-legged crow. Is there a one-legged crow? Yeah. One, like one armed? Oh, sorry. No, like one, one leg is up and over. Like it's behind you. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, cause I was, yeah, I know you meant leg. Like I heard leg, but I was thinking definitely of hands on the ground. And then I was like, what? You're gonna, oh. I mean, pro- definitely some people could do it, but some people could do that. I'm sure <laughs> I can't, but <laughs> regularly practiced. <laughs> I missed that boat. Not by me. Mm. No, <laughs> not <Yeah>. over here. <laughs> no. And then it says gradually use the overload principle, which is just like getting more, um, loading your joints more. Yeah. The overload principle I actually did some reading into this cause I, uh, been recently going to the gym more. Um, so progressive overload, a, a lot of yoga teachers, I know some yoga teachers that use, that think about this a lot as well, but in the gym, it's the idea that you never, you don't go to the gym and you just lift like a hundred pounds on your back. You start with, you know, five then you work up to like 7.5. Then you work up a little bit more to 10. Um, so that's like the progressive overload. And it, it follows the same. I think it's just like a, a gym, like a weightlifting specific aspect of um, the said principles. So if you go too little, so if you only lift 7.5 for the rest of your life, you're never going to have strength gains. You're never going to get stronger, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you lift 100 pounds, all the time and you never progress yourself then you're just going to continually break your back um because you haven't worked up to the hundred percent and you have (laughs) and and you don't give yourself enough time to adapt to it like you haven't figured out how to adapt to it um so there's a too much too little as well with that and and that is generally from what i understand in the weightlifting it's like in terms of a weight um so in terms of like a barbell squat or a row or a dumbbell you know mm-hmm, hammer mm-hmm. curl um it's because it's which easy, ma- I think easier it's... to measure that way like yes yeah those weights but you can definitely um exert more force on your body depending on the shapes that you're making like you can you can do that in yoga biomechanically yes. mm-hmm. um so we'll try and integrate that into one example so we'll we'll take like a shape or a posture that we want to do in our youtube video and we'll kind of go through like how you would thread it through through a whole yoga class using these principles mm-hmm. um and i think it's used probably more than most people are aware of and you might yeah. as a teacher already do this but it's really good to have an example um as a teacher and and definitely if you're a teacher trainer like i think this stuff is good to talk about as well yeah and i think I think something to students think about. Too, of course. Sorry. Sorry, just yeah. think students are going to use this. Yeah. 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 Cool. I think something to, to think about is also like, how are we e- equipping people to live their daily lives? So one of the things that really um, like strikes me is how often I hear, keep your knee behind your toes in yoga. Whereas in daily life, that's just like, no, we, we do that, you know? So if you have someone who only does yoga and only lives by this principle, keep your knee behind your toes, are we in some way creating a more fragile joint there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and should we actually be training what natural human movement is, which is to put your knee in front of your toes in some instances when you're bearing some weight um, or even like like really controversial internal and external rotation through the knee. And your knee is capable of some of that, just like your foot and your ankle is capable of inversion and eversion. Not a lot, but it, it is capable of it. So why why is it so important to keep your heel behind your toes? Like, can't we invert, evert? Can't we move our knees in different planes as long as it doesn't cause pain? And as long as you're progressively overloading it in a, in a way that is intelligent, you know, start Mm -hmm. with no weight, start with very gentle and then start to bring some weight, start to bring some awareness. If it hurts, go back a step. Um, but yeah, it's just something to think about. I think as yoga teachers that, um, certain things like knee behind toes, I don't know. I don't know where it came from. Um, and it's important to question that before you spew it out of your mouth. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Well, I think um, the knee ones, I made a sticky note. We're going to do a knee, like a knee biomechanics one for sure. Um, awesome. But I think the knee stuff, the knee, um, whatever, I can't talk. Anyways, all the stuff <laughs> the teachers say about the knee is because of uh, so many people come into class with knee problems. And so they're just mm-hmm. like, okay, let's like do these cues and then most of the people won't have pain. Like there are smart ways to move your <laughs> knees to not make it painful. It does not mean yeah. you're strengthening or getting better. It yeah. just means you don't feel the pain. Yeah. And honestly, I, I see the knee pain. Like it, I have some knee pain. Um, and I, from what I understand of it, it, it mostly happens with rotations, not necessarily with just that, that static knee over ankle. Yeah. Yeah. In, Do you know what I mean? Like that yeah. frontal plane movement, it mostly happens with like that, that other side. Mm-hmm. yeah no I agree on that yeah definitely um yeah I think there's just like a big fear around the knee in general is a good example to use so people are like well yeah. just do these things and never do these other things and then yeah. I don't have to like hurt someone in my class and we're all yeah. good yeah um, and then you you just like took the easy way out and you're not educating anymore right you're not telling mm-hmm. them that look if you continue to do continually do only this and nothing else you're creating fragility you're, you're making your body fragile more fragile where it shouldn't be fragile we're robust right we're resilient creatures but anyway mm-hmm. it's another rant <laughs> the old knee rant okay <laughs> so we were gonna do so i mentioned that youtube video we'll, we'll put a link to we'll show you guys a progression using an example how to do this in yoga class um and then we we're gonna do a download where you guys can kind of like plan out how to use this in a class was that what we decided mm-hmm. yeah I think so yeah like sort of like a template so that you have mm-hmm. some ideas and um, you can sort of come up with new and more innovative ways of how to move the body that create safety and trust um, like for instance with the knee like a lot of people are so dogmatic about that or they, they know what creates pain that that you have to like retrain into a, a, an area of trust um, for yourself and within your yoga class um, that that's really important in movement. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'll link those up for you guys. Um, I have one last question. I don't know how much more you want to talk about it, but talking about the said, the principles of said in mm-hmm. more the modern yoga movement. So we see a lot more movement types um, borrowed or inspired from other movement practices in the yoga class. And we've talked about kind of like the modern movement um, and kind of like that functional movement world kind of coming in toward into the yoga studio. And we did yeah. an episode on that. I think it'll be before this one. We'll post it and just start. It's just a conversation, kind of our thoughts, current thoughts on that. But yeah, how do you like, do you think that that those mod- more modern movements are just like we're getting smarter about biomechanics, yoga teachers in general just have more access to exercise science? Um, or is it, kind of be influenced from people getting stronger in yoga and then almost like getting a little bit bored like there's that lack of challenge so said is kind of comes to stops happening in plateaus yeah because there's too little challenge yeah I, i don't know maybe it's like a combination of everything and maybe it depends on the movement teacher's purpose because i i know of some movement teachers that that want to adapt you to daily life so those that threshold is not very high you know what i mean it's mm-hmm. it's not like an athletic threshold that's like a very functional threshold whereas there are other ones that are having you like do front rolls do back rolls and and do all sorts of other crawling movements um and I, i'm not too sure where that comes from like where what what inspires that what's like the even just like factor? the yoga that you and i do like we we do non-traditional mm. yoga posture or like called yoga we do some non-traditional stuff like you're not going to find it in Iyengar's book yeah yeah, especially in vinyasa like you can um yeah you can put in a lot of new stuff there from like my inspiration is just more functional movement in general and knowing that they're I think in the traditional postures of yoga there there is a lack in, in some areas of the body Mm. and yeah yeah I think it it just depends like I I I wouldn't be able to say like what's the motivating factor for my classes as a whole um 
the only one that maybe I'd be able to say is just like stress relief because every single class I do it just depends on who shows like if I know this is an after work class and I'm going to be doing things that try to reset posture and take away that the, the hunched over posture of desk job you know and wrist things and ankle things the, the joints that don't move a lot so for me it just it really really depends it's very different like teaching an after work class or a corporate class than um a hot yoga you know level two class um but later could, in the evening could you say like why you would put in these more what i would call like modern yoga postures or movement uh, yeah things yeah, as, I would always as have opposed a per- to like stick to traditional like why have you, yeah why have you varied from just the traditional postures yeah yeah for sure in fact like I often have to be like I'm I'm doing a traditional posture like why I have to justify more why I'm doing a traditional posture because some uh, of those postures are intense like I just like off the top of my head Mayurasana peacock pose with the wrists super extended and the mm-hmm. elbows un- underneath you like that I have to I would have to like really think of a good reason to justify doing that pose yeah and like is there even does i there's no such thing as like a a high lunge in just like a yanger's book is there just like a crescent lunge like a just a lunge it's warrior one yeah i'm not too sure i'll have to double check like maybe it's that put as a variation i'm not sure i don't mean, i don't even think it is i guess we'll look we'll look and we'll check but like that's definitely just a modern shape yeah, because we're yeah, like even a lunge. Our bodies mm-hmm. are not too stoked. Like the um, average body's not too stoked on that pose. Not saying it's bad <laughs> or unattainable, but I think a lunge just gives us a little bit more. We're like, okay, let's get some hip extension, mm-hmm. and not like it's easier to get the hip extension, allowing your back knee to bend a little bit and not crunch in your lower yeah. back. Yeah. So that's a, that's definitely like a mm-hmm. modern adaptation. Um, like I use lunges, like a, what I would call high lunge, the back knee off the ground or crescent lunge, whatever you want to call it, way more than warrior one. Mm-hmm. Do you? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's much more accessible for people. Yeah. Um, warrior one, I feel like there's a lot of, some people experience knee pain in the back knee. Some people are so dogmatic about squaring the hips, but keeping the heels aligned that they're, yeah. I don't know. It's just not, it doesn't look comfortable anymore. It, it just, it, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to raise that whole conversation up, you know? And so, so it just depends if I, yeah. if I am going to do a warrior one, there's going to be a little bit of talk about it. If I'm going to do a crescent lunge, I feel like it's easier not to talk about it because it's, it's much more straightforward. Um, and in some ways safer, as long as you don't have like a sprained ankle mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Like I definitely still teach warrior one, but I almost feel when I do it, um, I'm like really looking at my students and yeah, it's, it's definitely a posture where. I mean, I just have to let go and be like, okay, I'm not killing anyone, but and it's definitely yeah. not bad. Like it can be great for some people, but you're way more yeah. aware of like, this could go wrong. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. People can be, yeah. you know, what's a, what I, I really like doing low, uh, sorry, warrior one from like the ground up. So keeping your hands down and setting up the lunge and then putting the back foot down, doing a visual check of where the back foot is angled. Um, if the heels are aligned with the hips or if the heels aligned or with one another, um, and you know, talking a little bit about the safety that your hips are not, um, you know, that they, they should be for the comfort of warrior one should be a little bit wider. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then doing a really slow, like belly away from front thigh, slow lift up of your hands. So you're just leaning over that front thigh and then keeping that engagement through the front leg to stand all the way up. And if you already feel shaky with your hands really close to the ground, then to reposition the legs or to do another version of the pose that allows for a little bit of that, um, cause it depends if your hips are very tight, warrior one is really hard, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're to allow for the tightness and to be still able to achieve some sort of something that looks like warrior one. Yeah. That's, that's how I would do it. We can talk about warrior one later. <laughs> no, I could, I was like, I was just like, I can say like 18 things, but I'm not going to. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I said my 18. You can say your no, 18 if you want to. No, that's helpful. I like that you added that in. That's helpful for teachers. Okay. I don't even know. Okay. One thing I don't even like my calves get so tight. And I mean, when I started practicing yoga, my warrior one was not like a warrior one. I mean, it still Mm -hmm. isn't really, I also turn the back foot more, a little bit more forward just to get that calf stretch. Like I don't Mm -hmm. put it way out. Juicy. Um, 
I just think it's a little better for my hip. But anyways, um, I don't even think I can like have my front knee bent and place my back foot flat on the floor, toes out. Okay. Like with people's hmm. in stiffer bodies, can they even do yeah. that if they have a really short stance? I don't know. Because sure. you'd have so to have that hamstring yeah. length in the front leg. More like a glute length also, like glute flexibility. Yeah. Yeah. It, I guess it just really depends. Yeah. Let's leave it there. Yeah, it depends. It really depends. In general, definitely like stepping back and then setting the feet up from a s- upright position is, is a lot more accessible however um again said principles right you don't want to you don't want to always do that compared to like from down dog stepping forward you're saying yeah and keeping your hands down and then lifting up is how i generally do it Yeah. yeah yeah i think that's good anyway cool all right i was gonna say something at the beginning but then we started talking about food oh shit yeah we did yeah so I, I was going to ask you guys if you've been listening and you enjoy our rambles to go on to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and maybe say something. And if you don't think you want to do that, you can just send us a message and be like, I'd rather hear you talk about this. We'll consider that shit. <laughs> <laughs> we'll probably do that shit. We'll, we're, we'll we're probably easy. do that shit. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> anything else you want to say? Um, yeah, just that those five star ratings are like really, they're really important to us. They help us grow. They help us gain traction in the community and a momentum into creating this like high value content for you guys. Um, so it is so appreciated if you guys could take a few moments to do that. Um, and then just to spread good words among your community. If you think of someone that could benefit from this podcast, link them up, um, have them listen to it, have them give some feedback, um, yeah, and it's it's such we are so so grateful for that community support. Yeah, um, and I think that's it. Oh, <laughs> I just couldn't hear you for a second. <laughs> oh. Sorry, you might, uh, to, you might have to edit that. I was like, wait. Anyways, um, I think what you said was good there for the last five seconds. <laughs> Internet. Um, oh, one more thing. Oh, yes, we're we're just really thankful for you guys for listening. You're the best. Yeah, and absolutely. I don't know if you said it while my thing went blank, but follow us on Instagram, Nat and Sandy Yoga. Um, we post some stuff there, and then also if you're not a social media person, which I'm just like getting away from more and more, I'll be on the social media at least probably two days a week or something. But you can just sign up for our newsletter, and then you get um, just a recap of what we do once a month because. We don't like spamming your inbox. We don't like sitting down and writing long emails that are unnecessary. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'd way rather Our do... nervous systems yeah. are lazy. <laughs> just, I'm going to quote you there. I want to do it. I love you guys, but I don't want to... You just get information once a month. And maybe if something <laughs> exciting happens more, but right now I feel like that's what's necessary. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think that's that's a good amount. Yeah. All right, guys. Okay. Thanks for listening. Chat soon. Bye.